Good morning, my friends. Hey, it's so great to see everyone. If you're watching online because you're still afraid of the water, which I understand may come for the next week or so, uh, we're very happy that you're, that you're watching online. Palm Bay and DeLand, we're glad you're there. And I know we started <coughs> with a video, but I personally want to take you through this because this ministry means so much to me. So the shoeboxes are out in the lobby. We're starting a little bit earlier this year uh, because we're going to go for one massive goal to help change the world. All right, I love this for two reasons. All right, I had the privilege of going to Lima, Peru about three years ago and watching the backside of this. To watch, I went into the small churches in the barrios and watched the churches minister to the kids. I watched the teaching. I watched the music. I watched the ministry to their families. I watched the invites to get them back to church and into a Bible school program. And it's amazing. And here's the statistics. One out of every two children that get a shoebox end up accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. All right? Now, I don't know, I don't know anything we do that has that kind of a return. So if you think, well, I'm just packing, I'm just packing some toiletries and a few games and some things like that. No, no, no. You're praying for this box to win a soul to Jesus Christ. All right. Online, uh, you can, you can give financially. It, it says Operation Christmas Child. Uh, I'm going to push you hard this year. All right. I'm, I believe we can do 7,000 shoeboxes. All right. So that's, that's the challenge. Now that means what you did last year plus some more. And then what do I do? Well, you get your homeowners association involved. You get your kids ball team involved. You get your schools involved. I will tell you that our church staff has committed the first 1,000 boxes. And we're on our way to getting that done. So uh, we, we're going to need a lot of help for this. There's also uh, a card that you can hit a QR code and you can give. You're like, I'm 97, I'm not packing a shoebox. For $25, you can do it. So typically it takes about $20, $20, $25 to fill it, and then it's $10 to get it sent all over the world. But I want you to think about just from Tomoka, just from the people sitting here today, if 3,500 more souls will be in heaven because you packed a shoebox. Tell me that's not a good day. All right, that's... All right, so we're going to be in Acts 19. If you get your Bibles open, we'll be there for a couple of weeks. Paul is in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is a very modern city. It's a very strong city. It's a very economically wealthy city. Silver flows through the streets. They are worshipers of all kinds of pagan gods and goddesses. Next week, we'll spend a lot more time on Ephesus and their goddess Artemis who is a fertility goddess who they believe fell from the sky and they turned her into a silver idol, sold them and made a lot of money. We'll get into all that next week. But Paul goes into Ephesus and he begins to preach and people begin to get saved. And there's a huge demonic presence in this city. And demons begin to flee because people are getting saved. Now, if I already made you uncomfortable, you need to understand that the Bible is very clear. You can go back to Genesis 1, you see Satan. You can go to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. There is a spiritual world. In fact, 
I will say this, and then you can ponder it. The spiritual world is the real world. <clears throat> now, why do I say that? The question is, is the physical world real? Because I'll only be here, well, less than 100 years in this physical body. But I will be alive forever. Amen. The question is location, location, location. <laughs> All right? You will be alive somewhere, heaven or hell. Okay? That's, that's just the bottom line. So if the spiritual realm is where it's ultimately at, that's where the battle is going to be as well. And so all these demons, and again, if, if I were preaching this a hundred years ago, I shared this last night, most of the things I'm saying, people would have left the church saying, why did you preach such an elementary sermon? Because they were so acquainted with evil and the spiritual realm and with Satan and demonic spirits that this would not even have had to have been taught. I could have just gone right to the application of it. But in today's society, we have to face this. All right. Now, before we dig in, I have to tell you, Pastor Cord really, really treated me poorly last week with the, the nudist colony joke. And um, if you uh, if you didn't hear it, I'd recommend you don't just don't uh, don't even bother listening. But, you know, it's football season and Cord's a big Bears fan. And you got to give him credit for that. I mean. Let's just be honest. It's been a couple of tough centuries for the Bears, okay? Um, but he found a guy that was as excited about the Bears as he was. And the guy went to a restaurant with his dog. And he said, we're here to, 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 to cheer on the Bears. And the guy said, well, you can come in. Not your dog. He said, listen, my dog is more of a Bear fan than I am. He said, all right, I'll let the dog in. But the first sign of trouble... The dog's out of here. The guy said, fair enough. So they go in, they sit down, they order some food. The national anthem starts. The dog jumps up on the table, puts his paw over his heart. <laughs> national anthem happens. Good deal. About halfway through the first half, the bears kick a field goal. The dog gets up on his two legs, walks around the restaurant, high-fiving everyone. <laughs> And the owner says, okay, he said, this dog is really into Bears football. He said, what does he do when they score a touchdown? The guy said, I don't know, I've only had him for three years. <clears throat> Court, are you here? <laughs> Maybe next service he'll be here. All right, I want you to read a statement with you. I come out here every week, and I say the same thing in different words. I say to you, don't trust the preacher. Don't ever trust the preacher. You trust the Word of God. Because all kinds of twists and spins, it means this, it doesn't mean that, it should mean this. you got to think about it in 21st century terms. you got to be more progressive in your thinking. no. No, you got to find out what it says. If it's the living, eternal, authoritative word of God, that it means what it means then, it means what it means now, right? Let's read this together. Shallow Christianity will not last in the coming generation, and it will not grow, and that's already being proven true. <clears throat> Cultural Christianity is fading. In fact, it's dying. The church in the 21st century must go big on truth, 
or go home. Because there is a war going on. And it's not a cultural war. It is a spiritual war. When you take a look at all that's going on with babies being slaughtered in the womb, with the, tra- with the transgender stuff, with all the gender identity stuff, with the homosexuality stuff, with, I don't know if you've seen the, the new thing now that we've been told this was coming, but it's called, they, they used the term minor attracted person. Have you seen that? Yeah, pedophile would be the word you're looking for. Um, because here's how it works. So you identify, because now you can identify as a giraffe, right? So you identify as a 12-year-old. Now you can go have relations with a 12-year-old. That's our world. Now, I'm not telling you that. Well, I am telling you that because you need to know truth. But it is not the culture that's falling apart. It is the spiritual war in the heavenlies. And if you keep fighting it on a cultural level... And I'm not saying we, we don't fight it, we don't speak up, we don't, we don't engage the culture, we do. But if you don't understand that this is from Satan himself, and you don't fight it spiritually, and you don't say, this is going to be about the church getting stronger, me growing closer to Christ, me being more committed to prayer, me teaching my children, me helping anybody I can to know the truth of God's word, because this is a spiritual battle, and what's Satan's goal? Very clear, John chapter 8, Satan came to steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Your soul, your family, your life, your society. Satan comes to steal it all. Alright? That's just the warm-up. Stand with me, let's read the passage. <coughs> so this is, uh, again, Exodus, uh, Ephesus is in... Uh, modern Turkey, it's very close to Greece. And uh, this is in 54 AD. Paul spends two years uh, in this city. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. These were guys that were hustlers. They were out making money to dream to drive out demons. They would say, check this out, in the name of Jesus, <clears throat> whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, he was a Jewish priest, they were doing this. Well, that's a total violation of Deuteronomy 5, but we'll get back to that. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know... And I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. You can be seated. Anybody work with drachma currently? Probably not. 
I told you Ephesus is full of silver. A drachma is a silver coin. A little difficult sometimes to do calculations between modern money and that. But the money that was destroyed there in all of this witchcraft that's going on was somewhere between $5.5 million and $1.5 billion in American money. Now remember, this is a large city. All right, It's not New York, but it's a large city. And before the end of the first century, there will be 50,000 Christians in the city of Ephesus. All right, So just keep that in your mind. There's a lot of people there to come to Jesus. But they know about the demon world. They know about this spiritual world. They're aware of the war that's going on. And they're all wrapped up in this war. And so Paul says to them... You have got to get rid of this stuff. So let's just put the application to this sermon right up front. So here we go. <clears throat> Probably everybody in this room has got something that needs to go. Maybe it's astrology. Maybe it's Ouija boards. Maybe it's horoscopes. Maybe it's pure witchcraft. There's so much stuff I hear from people and I'm like... You've got to get that out of your house. Strictly forbidden in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you are welcoming Satan right into your house. Now listen to me. Do not give it to a friend. Well, you know, my friend's into witchcraft, so I thought I would share it with them. No. Please do not bring it to our thrift store. What did they do with all their magic scrolls? They, they burned them. I don't even recommend that you throw them away. Burn them. It makes a statement. It makes a statement. So you go home. Maybe it's pornographic material. It could be any, any number of things. And you have a bonfire and you burn up every single bit of that garbage and get it out of your life. All right? That's, that's the application. Now, again... Billion dollars? That's, that's a lot of money, yeah. But they finally found what they were looking for, which was the truth. But there's a war going on, and the war was exposed when Paul's there, and the demons are coming out of people who everybody knows they're demon-possessed. There's even this Jewish guy who's walking around hustling people for money. Now... The Jewish people, again, they're, they're involved in witchcraft here, and they're violating their own principles by, by doing this, and they're just doing it as a way to make money. These seven sons of Sceva. Now, I did a little research for you. The Greek word, Sceva, like this, it's a left-handed man who was into fortune-telling. That's how specific the Word of God is. Again, fortune-telling goes against everything the Bible teaches. All right. So here's this guy out hustling money <clears throat> by telling people that he can cast out demons. But I want you to focus on what the demons said. <clears throat> so they, they've been playing this hustle for a while. And one day a demon responds. That's a bad day, folks, when a demon responds. And the demon says, Jesus we know. And Paul we've heard about. But who are you? And it didn't end very well, did it? Did not end very well. So I got to thinking about another verse that really bothers me. And I put these two together. And this is what I want to share with you. 
Because there's a place in the Gospels where Jesus says to a group of people who had served, who had taught, who had done so many wonderful things for God. And Jesus said at the judgment, get away from me, I never knew you. That verse scares me. Didn't say that I didn't know him. Said Jesus didn't know me. So I started talking to God this way. Hey, uh, Jesus, this is Joe. Just wanted you to know this is Joe. Because I'll be honest, sometimes I get so caught up doing the things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian and what I have to do for my job that I forget that my ultimate deal is to love Jesus. And that's real easy to do, isn't it? You get caught up in church work and life and everything else. And so two two people that need to know you, two entities that need to know you. You want Jesus to know you and you want to make sure that Satan knows your name. You ever thought about that? Man, I want Satan to know me. I just want to hide out. No, no, no. You want Satan to know that you are a believer of Christ. That you are a person of prayer. That you're engaging against... You're engaging against the evil forces. If you don't know Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, you need to go home and read it. I recommend you memorize it. It talks about putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. But it's all about being prepared for a battle. Because Satan has only one objective. What? Kill, steal, destroy. And at the end of time, who's going to come? The lawless one. The lawless one, the one who's in charge of stealing, killing, and destroying. And if you and I keep acting as if it's not a war, we just come in, kind of go through the motions. We'll see you next week. We have a ladies' tea. We're going to have some flowers. And listen, I'm not against any of that stuff, but that's not the church. The church is a Bible-studying, prayer-giving organization that challenges the evil of this world with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we want you in small groups. That's why we're pushing so hard right now to get everybody into groups. Because when you're connected in a group, you've got other people that you're praying with. They're helping you learn the word of God. We all grow together. It is a war that is going on. I don't know how many civil war buffs we have here, but the first major battle of the civil war is called the the Battle of Manassas. First Battle of Manassas or Bull Run. We had the Battle of Fort Sumter, but that didn't last very long. So they got together, and here's a picture of that first battle. The southerners got together and they said, this, is gonna, this war is going to last one day. And so they packed picnic lunches. And they went up on the side of a hill. And it was a social event. And they got pictures of themselves at the picnic. And they stayed up on the hill watching the battle take place. Where thousands of men on both sides would soon die while they were watching. And of course a war that would go on for the next five years. But they weren't prepared for war. They thought this was just going to be something interesting. It'll all be over this afternoon. Truth is, there was a real war that was going on. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
If you haven't accepted Jesus, you need to do that because the new will come. But for most of you, I think what I'm talking to for most of us is not the new coming, but making sure that the old has gone. You need to have that bonfire and get rid of some things that are going on in your life. I'll just leave it there. If you need Jesus, online you can hit that button. I've decided. Pastor David, Pastor Ben are on the campuses. Pastor John is secluded back here in a room. And if you're online, you hit that button. He will, he'll be happy to help you. You come up here. Last night we had a young lady give her life to Christ, was baptized. It was the, it was the highlight of the whole, uh, the whole evening. And uh, last week, last week I was out at the beach doing baptisms, and I, I can't remember. I think we had ten or twelve baptisms, and and there was a guy that kept watching, and he seemed happy. He seemed interested, and so Pastor Kerry said, "Joe, why don't you go talk to him?" So I went over, and he said, "This is great what you're doing." And I said, "Yeah, it's great what God's doing," and and uh, I said, "What about you?" He said, "I know Jesus." I said, have you accepted Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you, have you been baptized? He goes, I need to do this. I said, yeah, you do. And he stood there a minute and he said, but I don't want to go overboard with this stuff. So I looked him in the eye. I don't think these are Joe's words. I think these were God's words. And I said, I said, how can you go overboard for a God who gave his life for you? And he said, you're absolutely right. And then he didn't do anything. And I'm, it's sad to say that a lot of people will agree with me or agree with you. But the issue is, will you make the decision? Will you accept Christ? Will you repent? Will you be baptized? Will you decide to to burn the scrolls? Will you take action? Because not only is it a war, it's not a game. See, when I was a kid, we spent a lot of time playing games. This was before electricity was invented. And so <clears throat> there, were, uh, there was lots of board games and uh, cards. By the age of five or six, you're playing pinochle and hearts and spades and rook. And, and that was just part of the, what you did. It was either that or be bored to death. Those were your, those were your options. And every, we'd play almost every night. But at the end of the night, the same thing would happen every night with the game. All the pieces and all the cards would go back in the box because it's just a game. And sadly, a lot of people approach Christianity that way. I gave you my hour, they'll leave me alone. Not my heart, not my life, not my money, not my resources, not my shoeboxes. I gave you an hour, God, that should be enough. Listen, it's not a game. It's a God that loved you and me enough that he paid the price. Here's a picture of Ruger the dog. Um, Ruger's a great story. He's a good-looking dog too. But he was out. He was out with his owner, and his dog uncharacteristically attacked his owner. And the owner couldn't believe it. And I saw the picture. Had took a huge chunk out of the guy's leg. He took he took his paw and just dug into the guy's leg and just ripped a chunk of flesh right out of right out of his leg. And he was starting to discipline the dog when he looked down and he saw a giant copperhead ready to strike. And it was then that he realized that the dog had saved his life. Do you realize? The scars that Jesus took is why you and I get to go to heaven. 
It's the, it's the abuse that he took. It's the pain that he accepted. It's all of our sin that was poured on him at the cross. Those scars that people look at and say, what a weak God. Wasn't a weak God. It was a courageous God that loved you and me so much to say, hey, this isn't some kind of a game. This is the real deal. Show you a picture in New Orleans. Remember, <clears throat> remember a couple years ago we were ripping down all the statues? Anybody with me? We tore down the statue of Andrew Jackson, one of our greatest presidents. Okay? I don't care whether there's a statue of Andrew Jackson or not. It sits right, it was, but it sat right out in front of the Catholic Church there in New Orleans. Here's what they put up in its place. <clears throat> it may not need a lot of explanation. It's a snake. It is, <clears throat> it is a pole that is used by voodoo worshipers in Haiti and in New Orleans. <clears throat> so now we have the dreaded statue of Andrew Jackson gone and in its place we put up a statue to Satan in front of the Catholic Church. It's a war, folks. It's not a game. It's not a game. And if you and I get involved in playing checkers and Satan's playing chess, you and I are going to lose every single time. But let me tell you how this plays out. In Luke 16, very long story. I hope you'll go read it. <clears throat> a guy dies and he goes to hell. For whatever reason, God allows him to interact. And he interacts with Jesus. And Jesus said, there's nothing I can do to help you. There is a gulf fixed between hell and heaven. And there's nothing I can do to reach out to you. You are now cut off from God. And the man pleads. He said, well, at least send somebody back to tell my brothers so they don't end up in this same hell with me. Here's what Jesus says. Even if a man were to raise from the dead, they wouldn't believe it. Well, obviously Jesus is talking about himself. Isn't that where we find ourselves today? That we're here trying to convince people that the resurrection took place? When there's far more evidence of the resurrection than there is evidence that George Washington ever lived. But yet people just say, oh, you still believe those fairy tales? Well, why don't you try reading those fairy tales and do a little homework for yourself? And that leads me to the kind of where we started, and that is that eternity is forever. It's just about location. One more Civil War story. This is General Sedgwick. I throw him out just because this is how people, people think, ah, there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell. Just an arrogance, just a cocky arrogance that they know more than God could ever know. Well, Sedgwick goes down in history for this. He's standing on a battlefield and he said, these were his last words, they couldn't hit an elephant from there. It's the last thing he said. And that's kind of how people are that are taking risk with their eternity. Ah, this God stuff, this Jesus stuff, y'all are crazy. Well, you can say what you want or you can look at the truth. It said this way in 1 John chapter 2, see that you, see that what you have heard from the beginning about Jesus remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And what do we get? And this is what He promised us, what? 
you're going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. Location, location, location. So I'll finish with this story. Muhammad Ali said he hated every minute of training his entire life. He said, I hated the running, I hated the workouts, I hated the weightlifting, I hated all of it. But he said, I knew that if I ever won, that I could spend the rest of my life as a champion. Well, he got that here on earth. Sadly, he didn't translate that idea into eternal things. You see, the beauty of what Jesus did for us, that we can accept the price he already paid. He's the one that took the scars. He's the one that took the beating. You and I accept what Jesus has done on our behalf. And then we get to live like champions here in this temporary world. But far more importantly, in the eternal world. So we're going to take communion. This is where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. This is a chance for all of us. I want you to... Give Jesus praise for what he's done, the scars that he took for you. I want you to see that in your mind's eye. But I also want you to step back and I want you to see things that you know when you go home, they need to be set fire. They need to be gotten rid of. Because Jesus, I want to be so close to you. I want you to know me and I want Satan to know me. So, Father, as we take communion now, we remember the cross. We remember that we are guilty sinners saved by grace. And we're so grateful. And I pray for your spirits working. Somebody here needs to accept you today. Somebody watching online needs to make that decision. Somebody's caught up in all kinds of evil. That this would be the day of deliverance for them. So, Father, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are reminded of what an incredible Savior we have. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.